Very good morning to you. This is Money Talk with James Ross. Uh, let's uh, bring in our guests this morning and uh, let's say good morning to Andrew Ferris, who is CEO of Ecognosis Advisory. Uh, good morning, Andrew. Uh, good morning, James. The line is absolutely dreadful. I cannot hear you at all. Oh, well, I'm, I'm sorry about that. I do understand you're in Europe, in, uh, in Greece at the moment, so let's see how we go. Uh, let's also say good morning and hello to Richard Harris, the CEO of Port Shelter Investment Management, who's in Thailand, who's in uh, Phuket. Uh, good morning, Richard. Good morning, James. And you sound fantastic this morning. So uh, the line between the two baked bean cans must be a lot shorter. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, well, let's see how it goes. Well, obviously, um, you know, there's been a lot of um, uh, commentary on the Fed's decision uh, yesterday on holding interest rates and also the prospect of interest rates uh, being cut in 2024. Uh, the Bank of England not uh, singing quite the same uh, tune. Richard, what do you feel about uh, the Bank of England's uh, response? Well, it's interesting. I think that if you look at the Fed, the Bank of England, and of course the ECB, which announced uh, just after, <laughs> they're all holding. Uh, so I think the scoreboard will show that, you know, all the uh, central banks held in this stage. But of course, the forward guidance is important. Um, and the Fed obviously are maybe slightly more aggressive in saying that, yes, maybe the end of the rising cycle is, is ended and maybe we'll see some falls. But I think we still have to be wary that the Fed is still looking at a very limited number of falls that might take our Fed funds at 5.5 down to maybe 4 or 4.5. They're still quite high interest rates. So I'm not sure the market should be quite as happy as they have been. Uh, the birds are singing in uh, Phuket this morning, uh, um, Richard. We're pleased about that. Andrew, uh, what are your thoughts on the ECB and uh, the Bank of England? Uh, are they likely to uh, stick closely to what the Fed um, is doing, or are they going to go their own way? Well, let's let's be quite clear that for, for quite a long time there has been... I'm sorry, James, it is absolutely impossible to hear you. I'll do my best, but... Mm. Please okay. do. Uh, Keep the going. Central banks have not been working in tandem, and there is no earthly reason why, in fact, uh, particularly the ECB that has got uh, uh, quite a tough prospect in front of it, uh, to even begin to indicate that interest rates might be cut. Number one. Okay. Number two is, of course, is the other two major uh, central banks in the world, and that is the People's Bank of China and uh, Bank of Japan, uh, they are playing in completely different tunes. So it stays part for the course that the central banks are not cooperating, and they shouldn't, of course, but neither their, their versions or rather their patterns of inflation trends are such as to, for them to begin to be cutting interest rates together. Uh, we'll give you a call back, uh, Andrew, because I know it's tough for you to hear. We can hear you loud and clear. Um, Richard, do you think that the uh, Fed pays much attention to uh, what's going on in the rest of the world? Or when it makes these decisions, is it focused only on its own backyard? Uh, I think the short answer is no. You know, the Fed is really interested in what they're doing, their mandate is for the U.S. and towards the U.S. dollar. Uh, so that's important. But in the past, I think the central banks have acted in a concerted manner, especially when we've had uh, quite serious issues in the market. So I don't think central banks are unaware that they should be talking to each other. But I think in the normal day-to-day -day, uh, process of what they do, they really focus on their own economies, as indeed they're all mandated to do.
Uh, you know, as and- Andrew ind- indicated there, what happens in the, uh, Japan, China is, is very different from, of course, what's going on in the US or in uh, the EU. How, how do you feel about, uh, about China at the moment? And, you know, it's possible that they're going to hold their interest rates uh, later today. Well, you know, economic cycles uh, often go together, but at the moment we've got two very differing economic cycles. We've got um, that in Japan and China, which is one uh, which is where the economy is uh, really struggling a bit. You know, we're almost coming out of the post-COVID environment. We've got uh, weak economies. We've got disinflation. We've got low interest rates. In the Western world, which came out of COVID uh, with a bang, um, helped a great deal by a substantial amount of uh, injection of liquidity into the markets uh, to make sure that the markets didn't crash. We've had all this money washing around the West, which has pushed markets and pushed interest rates and pushed inflation up. And yet you've got this other situation in China where you've got really a rather sluggish um, growth. And China, of course, second largest market in the world is very, very important. And I think what the central banks are generally missing is we're all lauding the fact that oh, they've done a great job pushing interest rates up and we've seen inflation come down. But what we also forget is that because the world is linked, we're getting disinflation coming out of China at the moment, uh, which is curbing inflation in the West. Now, that's producing a Goldilocks scenario in the US with falling inflation and yet quite high growth. So the market's responding to that by going up. Uh, But we are forgetting that if China turns around and inflation picks up there, we're going to get inflation pickups in the rest of the world. So, you know, 2024 is going to be an interesting year when a lot of this comes together. And once again, you know, Hong Kong is uh, is here in the middle uh, between the uh, uh, China on one side with doing what it's doing with uh, its economy and its interest rates and the, and the U.S. on the other uh, with our peg. Uh, Andrew, you know, what's the effect on uh, Hong Kong of all this? I'm sorry. Can you repeat? Can you repeat the question again, James? Sorry. Yeah, I know you're having difficulty uh, hearing uh, this morning. What's the what's the effect for Hong Kong at the moment uh, of being stuck between China and the U.S. and these differing uh, economic uh, policies and states? Well, it's, it's very straightforward. Uh, the Hong Kong monetary policy is determined in the United States and not in Beijing. It's very very simple. Uh, the expectations that the Americans are going to cut interest rates anytime soon. I tend to, I tend to join the groups that uh, the, the, the expectations of three cuts very quickly is unlikely, which means that Hong Kong is still stuck with higher interest rates, exactly in the same way that the Hong Kong Monetary Authority simply stayed, but they have no options. They cannot possibly cut without creating a, a divergence and therefore putting the Hong Kong dollar under pressure. One point that I want to mention very, very quickly is, of course, that the, all the major central banks that are now standing firm, particularly in the case of the European Central Bank, and, of course, the, the, uh, the, the Bank of England, is that the, the, the inflation rate targets are not anywhere near yet in what area in which they would really expect them to be. Okay, in, in the case of uh, UK, we're looking at 4.6% in the October uh, inflation rates, and in the case of the European Union, 2.4, which is all of them, okay, are above their specific individual targets that vary anything between 2 to 3 percent. 
only in the case of United States, and that is very odd, of course, the Fed decided to jump, and uh, effectively, Powell says that he's not going to see 2% inflation rate before the year 2026. Wow. So somehow the targeting is off cue now. So in other words, we shouldn't really believe in, believing in inverted commas that uh, they're, they're really a, a hit in that. Oh, Richard, is that a view that you agree with? You know, obviously the, the, the signals coming from the ECB and the BOI uh, seem to, to reflect that uh, inflation is not under control, but um, uh, not so from Jerome. Well, I, I think they are. Uh, really saying that inflation isn't really under control. It's, it's, Andrew was saying, it's not going to get anywhere near 2%. And that's one reason why they are being quite cautious. And, and as I said a moment ago, if they do cut rates by three times, that pulls interest rates down to 4%. Well, that's not particularly low. Um, so I do think the market is getting ahead of itself now. The only question remains is when is the great the crowd, the wisdom of the crowd, is going to suddenly click that, hold on, markets have gone too far, too too fast, and, and they're going to come off. Now, we're in the middle of a nice Santa rally at the moment, and people are going to start uh, going off on holiday. Very often, these things don't happen until the early part of the next quarter. In fact, I have a law, which is the Harris's law of quarterly reversal, which uh, is that at the beginning of every quarter, you have to watch out for the markets to turn around and come back. And, uh, you know, it's quite possible right. that everybody's going to realize that things aren't as rosy as they are uh, pretty well around January the 2nd. Um, Andrew, COP28, of course, has been a, a big significant event uh, of the last uh, couple of weeks or so. Um, and there's been a lot of talk about fossil fuels, but doesn't seem to have been that much impact on, on the markets. What are your thoughts there? Absolutely. Actually, <laughs> if, if anything, uh, with uh, big announcements that, uh, for, uh, incidentally, are not, fossils are not being phased out, they never use that expression, is, is an orderly transition away from. And my reaction is, is, hello, boys and girls, we have been doing this for nearly 10 years now. You know, nobody's transitioning into more fossils as opposed to less fossils. Be that as it may, prices of oils went up, of course, and uh, the... Uh, the S&P really, really jumped, which normally will not do that alone, just on the basis of interest rates, as well as including uh, the importance of the power and the oil companies in, in the United States that did not see the COP28 decision at all as the beginning of the end. Richard, is that something that, um, that you'd agree with? That uh, Are you following the, the, the oil market at the moment at all? Yes, yes. You know, people just don't believe that fossil fuels are going to be phased out. I mean, don't remember, oil is used for a great number of activities, you know, in terms of uh, uh, making plastics, uh, bitumen on roads, etc. The main problem is in burning it. And um, to a certain extent, and far, far be it for me to go against the whole of the um, climate lobby, that would be completely wrong, of course. But, you know, we, what we all forget is that it is likely to be possible in the future to burn some of these fuels in a clean manner. Um, and that may be the bigger thing that the climate lobby should be talking about is how do we stop the air getting polluted, the earth getting polluted, water getting polluted. If we can do that, then we'll solve the climate change problem, at least where humans are concerned. 
Richard Harris, uh, CEO of Port Shelter uh, Management, Investment Management, thank you very much for joining us. Also, uh, thank you this morning to uh, Andrew Farris, CEO of Ecognosis Advisory. Well, still.